I'd love to start with a question this morning. Has life turned out the way you thought it would up to this point? If you're tempted to raise your hand, I understand why you're keeping it down. So the rest of us don't feel bad about ourselves or about you. No. You know, it doesn't take long to realize that life, in fact, can be hard. It can take unexpected turns. It can be full of changes and challenges we never imagined, setbacks and struggles we may be still undergoing. And it can make you wonder, when is it ever going to be my time? When is it ever going to be my turn? Well, then you come across someone and think, whoa, I guess it could be worse. Imagine walking in this guy's shoes. He lost his job at the age of 23. He was defeated in a run for the state legislature that same year. He failed in business the very next year at the age of 24. His sweetheart died a year later when he was 25. So it's probably not a surprise that he had a nervous breakdown a year later at the age of 26 and battled depression for the rest of his life. He was defeated for a nomination to Congress at the age of 34. He was finally elected to Congress at the age of 37, but lost just two years later. Didn't get a second term. He was defeated for the U.S. Senate at the age of 45. Things are not going well. Defeated for nomination as vice president at the age of 47. Defeated again for U.S. Senate at the age of 49. And then, against all odds, he was elected president of the United States at the age of 51. Wow. The year was 1860. By now, you probably know his name, Abraham Lincoln. Wow. How many times do you think he looked up to the sky and said, God, what are you thinking? Right? But it was his time. It was his turn. He and a skeptical nation came to learn that through it all, through it all, God had been uniquely preparing and equipping him. Right? for the great work of his life. Well, I don't know what your Lincoln list might look like. (laughs) We probably all have one. But whatever the list, this is our time. This is our turn. Here we are. And whatever changes or challenges we face whatever setbacks or struggles we may still be going through, however difficult the past, however daunting the present, however dark the future may seem. What we learn time and time again through Scripture and through the lives of those who look to God is God can do a work in your life. God can make a lasting, an eternal impact in the lives of others through you, through ordinary people like you and me. Today we're going to take a look once again in the book of Acts and that first generation of Jesus' followers. It was their time. It was their turn. And so I just want to ask, what is it we can learn from them, from their experiences? from their response to God. We're going to do so in three remarkable verses. 
in Acts chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 13. Just those first three verses. I'll read them for you now. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And here are their names. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, a city in northern Africa, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, obviously a royal, an aristocrat, and a guy named Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. These three verses of Scripture are one of the most important turning points right, in the story of Jesus and God's vision and mission for this world. It is a first. It is the first missionary journey organized and supported by a local congregation. For the first time, a community of Christ followers send out missionaries for the sake of reaching other nations, all people, not just the Jewish people. And notice they do it without an apostle on deck. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, some years ago, a, a well-known radio entertainer did some research on the Gettysburg Address. And he learned something special and he delivered it on the occasion of, its, uh, of Lincoln giving that address. And he turned a phrase that is so familiar. We say, of the people, by the people, for the people. You know how Lincoln said it? Of the people. By the people. For the people. And I think he reflects God's heart with that emphasis. God's heart is for people. For you, for me, for every human being on this planet. And God's vision, the vision of God revealed and fulfilled and unleashed in the life of Jesus and through the power of His Spirit at work in His people was to reach all people. And how does He do it? Through people. Everyday, ordinary people. Now notice where this turning point happens. It happens in the city of Antioch. Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the empire of Rome. About half a million people. Imagine that. About half a million people. And it's there God raises up this church with a fresh vision of reaching the world with the good news of God's love and grace through faith and through life in Jesus' name. Let's give a little background. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 The risen Lord himself said to those first followers You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth Well, God gave them such astounding uh, impact and success Starting with the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell That they kind of just hunkered down and huddled up And didn't leave 
They stayed put and their outreach only extended to other Jewish people. Eventually, the Jewish religious authorities organized and unleashed a brutal wave of persecution that resulted in the death of that wonderful young and gifted leader of the early church, Stephen, resulted in the imprisonment of countless others, and it scattered the church. It took a persecution to finally scatter the church. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, which is present-day Lebanon, to Cyprus, right, the island not far offshore, and Antioch, the great city in the north, spreading the word only among the Jews. They're still spreading the word only among the Jews. Well, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, meaning people of other nations, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. It finally begins. Right? The great commission of Jesus takes hold and breaks out. God wants to reach not just the Jewish nation, but the world. And it's still true today. In Acts chapter 13, we see that eventually a group got it, and they responded, and they broke out in a fresh wave of mission. That was their time. That was their turn. And now is our time. Now is our turn. So the first thing I want to lift up for us today is, it is our time, it is our turn. Let's get in the game. Let's get on board with God. Let's imagine that God can use us to reach other people with his love and new life in Jesus' name. Now, sometimes we may think that we aren't gifted enough or we aren't qualified enough or some event or circumstance or misstep in life has disqualified us somehow from making a difference for God in, in, in this world. Uh, but it's not true. Look who's on the team in Acts chapter 13. Do you see the name? A guy named Saul. That's his Hebrew name. He is most well-known by his Greek name, Paul. Paul would become the greatest, most passionate and ardent missionary and evangelist of the early church. He would take the gospel all the way to Rome in the course of his life. But you know how it started? When he was known as Saul, a bright young and, and fiery rabbi in Jerusalem, it was he who was appointed to spearhead and oversee the persecution. He was the one assigned to snuff out faith in Jesus, and it included snuffing out the life of one of the great young leaders of the early church, Stephen. Paul never, never overcame the weight and grief of that reality in his life. Listen to what he writes of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But you see, 
by the grace of God at the height of the persecution when he was ready to take it from Jerusalem to another great city, Damascus, the risen Lord himself, Jesus, the risen Christ himself, <laughs> burst into Paul's life in, in a, a flash of light that knocked him to the ground. And that experience of the risen Lord <laughs> changed his heart. Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am the one. And you are God's chosen instrument to take the message of God's grace in my name to the world, to show the rest of, of my followers how it's to be done. If Saul, Brother Paul, can be on the team, that means you can be on the team. There is nothing you could do to make God love you more. There is nothing you could do to make God love you less. The same grace that transformed the life and heart of Paul, that set him free from the guilt and shame of what he had done, that broke his heart open with a passion and love for God rarely seen on this planet, right? is the same Spirit and the same God that can break into our hearts and lives and give us a vision that maybe, just maybe, I can make a difference for God in this world too. You can. God wants you to. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace you've been saved. Through faith. It's not from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by your works. It's not by what you do so that anyone can boast. We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God already has an assignment prepared for you. This is your time. This is your turn. Time to open your heart to God, to pray to the Spirit, show me. And help me show up. Help me get off the sidelines and into the game. It's never too late. You're never too young, you're never too old, you're never too broken to be an instrument of Christ's love under the influence of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite saints on this side of heaven was a, a man named uh, Bert Hamilton. I met him when he was 80 years old. He did not come to faith in Christ until he was 79. That year he lost his wife and one day driving a car, he was just broke down in grief and just happened to be driving past a church. So he pulled into the parking lot, never been in, through the doors of a church before. Except he said maybe a couple funerals. And he didn't see anybody who went into the sanctuary, and he just dropped to his knees and wept, cried out to God. The pastor of the church happened to be there, walked in just quietly, gently, came up next to him, patted him on the back, began to talk with him, learned his story, and over the next few weeks led him to faith in Christ and to believe that there was hope for him, even at the age of 79. Imagine he was baptized at the age of 80. I became the associate pastor of that church that year. So Bert and I became buddies. And this guy was a fireball of an 80-year-old, I'm telling you. I worked with him for two years. He was a Bible teacher in our Crossways Bible study program. He was a Stephen minister in our ministry uh, to help people in crisis. 
through one-on-one friendships. He was part of the communion ministry that took the communion from Sunday morning to people who were in nursing homes or were homebound because of surgery or illness. And he wouldn't stop. And people started getting concerned about his health. Right? So they said, Bob, you got to talk to Bert. And I was too young to know any better, so I went to talk to Bert. Um, this guy helped build bridges all across the west side of the United States, you know. And he, he, I started my little speech, and he just kind of held up his hands. and he, I mean, literally, his eyes just kind of misted up, and he said, Pastor Bob, you cannot ask, ask me to slow down or stop. Please do not ask me to slow down or stop. I'm 82 years old. I pushed God away for 79 years of my life. It took the death of my wife to break open my life to God. I don't have any time to waste. And what time I have left, let me live it for him. Wow. Wow. So he squeezed a lifetime of God, loving God and serving Christ into, just, you know, into his 80s. And what I want to say to you today is don't stay on the sidelines. Don't let some incident or event or circumstance put you on the disabled or permanently injured list. Let God get a hold of you and release you to get out on the field, to take, undertake the assignment God has given you. Do you know you don't have to look far? It begins at home. It goes into the classrooms if you're a student. It goes into your workplaces, whatever your occupation. It starts here and now. This is your time. This is your turn. Secondly, not only are we called to get in God's game, in the power of God's Spirit, but to cheer one another on. Look at the other name in this list. His name is Barnabas. And, and that name answers the question, how did Paul, the persecutor of the church, who came to faith through a miracle of grace, end up in Antioch as like the lead teacher for this burgeoning church that was reaching people of all nations, right? And, and now ready to send out missionaries. Well, after Paul came to faith in Christ, as you can imagine, the apostles and the, and the first followers did not trust him. They were afraid of him. And they would not, you know, see him. Until a guy named Barnabas had the guts to step out, find him, befriend him, get to know him, and take him through the front doors. Say, here he is. Look what God is doing. We've got to get on board with this. Go, Paul. Paul became such an effective communicator of God's love in Christ in Jerusalem, the religious authorities wanted to take him out. So the early church shipped him off to his hometown, Tarsus. And he cools his jets for 10 years. But isn't it remarkable? God had him start in his hometown with a home team, right? Learning, growing, getting prepared and equipped for the big work that lie ahead. And so now... Uh, uh, the spirit breaks out in Antioch. People of all nations are hearing the gospel and responding. And they, the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas up to check it out. And Barnabas is like, wow, this is amazing. Look at all these people. We need more teachers. And he goes, I know who we need. We need Paul. We need Saul. And he travels up to Tarsus. And he finds Saul and brings him back to Antioch. And together they team up and they are the power team. 
They are the power team. And Saul is only there because Barnabas was on deck to cheer him on, to encourage him every step of the way. And I find it marvelous that uh, when the church in Antioch prays and fasts and gets a vision for what God could do, they send out their best. <laughs> it's just awesome. Uh, here's, here's a cheering story, a cheerleader story. It's my Super Bowl story for the day. Um, we have just a few Saints fans, but even if you're a Saints fan, you know that this is the first time in 43 years that this franchise has made it to the Super Bowl. And you also know, for many, many years, they weren't called the Saints. They were called the Aints. Yeah. Right? They almost made it to the Super Bowl three years ago and then had a cr disappointing loss, you know, crushing loss. And then the last couple seasons were a disaster. So at the beginning of this season, Drew Brees, their quarterback, comes across this inspirational book and decides this book could breathe some life into my team and give us a fresh vision for what we could do together, right? It's a little book called Finish Strong. Whatever happens at the beginning, however a mess up it is, you can still decide to finish strong. And it's a little book that has short stories about people who've overcome great adversity to achieve something they never imagined they could achieve, right? So let me give you an example. At 13, she lost an arm in a shark attack. Within six months, she was surfing again competitively and winning. In 2004, she was voted the Comeback Athlete of the Year by ESPN. Right? Amazing. Her name, uh, you may have seen her, Bethany Hamilton. Her cheerleaders, her family. Right? Every step of the way. Cheering her on. A quote from another once, uh, story in the book. When I started the company, I was 52 years old, I had diabetes, lost my gallbladder, and most of my thyroid gland, but I was convinced that the best was ahead of me. This guy's an optimist. What's his name? Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. 52, with a Lincoln list a mile long. Right? Who was in his corner? Who was up in the stands cheering for him? Well, they say, behind every successful man is a shocked and, and surprised woman. <laughs> Her name is Joan, right? Her name is Joan. I mean, her guy hits his stride in his 50s when he's down for the count. And after his death and, and after the incredible, astounding blessings of being the founders of McDonald's, you know what she spent the rest of her life doing? giving it away to the work of God in this world from the Salvation Army to other foundations a last one um, when she was a little girl she had to have braces in order to walk she's a living force Gump story right? later in her life as a young woman she would become the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympics. Her name, Wilma Rudolph. In her stands, an amazing mother. Forrest had one too. I think maybe her story inspired that story. What did she say of her mom? My mom taught me very early to believe that I could achieve just about anything. I believed I wanted to. Well, Drew Brees was so struck by those stories that he gave the book to his team and Finish Strong became their motto this year. 
And they had 13 games, or 13 wins to begin the season. It was awesome. And after some setbacks, they make it into the Super Bowl. And you know what they just decided? We do not want this Super Bowl to be just about us. They're from New Orleans. Think about that. So you know what they did? They contacted the author of the book, Finish Strong. And they got permission to create Finish Strong t-shirts. And the goal was to raise as much money as possible for the city of New Orleans in the recovery and you know, redevelopment projects. In the first week alone, they sold 40,000 t-shirts. Right? It'll probably be a story today during the Super Bowl. Right? Finish strong. Each and every one of us needs cheerleaders in our lives. It's one of the most vital roles we can play for one another. And do you see how this early church works? They get on their knees for each other. They pray for one another. They fast for one another. They seek God's face for one another. And when they sense God is calling you or God is calling you, they let you know. And not only do they pray for you, they take the next step. They support you and send you out with their prayers and with their love and with their blessing. So, the final piece is get in the game, cheer one another on, send one another out. These early followers were totally devoted to one another and to bringing out the best in each other. And here's an amazing thing. Where did this first team of their brightest and best go? Look what we find in the next sentence of chapter 13. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit and went towards Seleucia, on the port city, and then they sailed from there to Cyprus. Cyprus was Barnabas' hometown. That's the place he grew up. That's where the mission begins. In his own neighborhood. And that's where it needs to begin for us. Not many of us, or most of us, are going to be called to other nations, right? Halfway around the world. But we are all called. All called. To serve here and now, to be part of God's mission here and now. And I'd like to uh, um, welcome forward a Christchurch friend who has received a pretty significant call. And, and, and it's funny, when you say yes to God, um, God will sometimes work a 24-hour turnaround. Uh, just a year ago, this Sunday in February, um, I preached a message called God's Size Steps, and Steve and Delia without talking to one another, both sensed something they never imagined before. Uh, maybe thought about it, but pushed it aside. But they both checked in after the service, and they said, they think Steve is being called into pastoral ministry. And that sense of calling has shifted the direction of his life. He's back in college, getting his bachelor's degree, finishes in about a year, right? And then it's off to prepare to become a, a, a pastor, and Steve and Delia are part of our neighborhood group. We started a study in the book of Acts, came to Acts 1 where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses first here and then there and then further. And so Steve actually mentioned, you know, he struggles with, you know, reaching out to, to like his neighbors and to, and to talking about his faith with, with people he hasn't gotten to know very well. And, and so would we pray for him? And we did on Friday night. Sunday, Steve comes up. That Sunday, Steve comes up to me and says, "You're not going to believe what happened yesterday, less than 24 hours after you prayed for me." 
So Steve, tell us what happened. Well, um, as Bob said, we we just been speaking about uh, about acts and. Um, I've, I've always had trouble basically speaking to my neighbors about, about religion or, or anything like that. And my, my neighbor just happened to come up and ask me to do a favor for him because he was going out of town for a week and, uh, he wanted me just to roll his, his garbage can back and check for packages. And well, this is a promising, so promising start for a life transforming conversation. Well, well, there you go. It's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's right, right there, right? Um, but then, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, I had spoken to his wife probably about a month or so prior, and I basically had mentioned that, you know, that I, I, I had felt this call to go into ministry and so forth, and, and, and she's Mormon, and she basically said, well, that's great, and nothing more after that. But um, then, you know, then my, you know, then her husband shows up to ask me to do this favor, and uh, he says, uh, he says, you know, he says, I heard from my wife you're going to become some sort of youth minister or youth pastor or something like that. I said, well, well, I'm going, I'm, you know, that's the plan. I'm, I'm planning on going, going to become an ordained minister. And he says, well, I didn't even know you were religious. Another promising start. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so that sort of opens up the door. And, and so all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I know, all of a sudden, I, I, I start uh, hearing from him about how he's having trouble with his own faith and um, how um, you know his his wife is Mormon and he's from a Jehovah's Witness background, so that's a good mix. <laughs> um, so you know, see, so he's really he's really struggling with his own his like own who views. God is he, who God is, and uh, why is it that God can be so vengeful, but but also be a loving God and. What is it about the Holy Spirit anyway? Because he doesn't believe in the Trinity. And so, were you able to answer all his questions completely? Oh no, no, no. Uh, so this really was just the start. It was actually just a start. It was, it was it was like your foot in the door. It was it was like a um, like an opening of a door for you know for future conversation. Um, I, I I felt like it was it was it was just it was just the start of of, of a possibility of of continuing the dialogue. So this really can happen. It really can't God can happen. answer a prayer sooner than you ever imagined. Uh, a lot sooner. Uh, less than 24 hours later, I, I can attest to that. There he is. The neighbor shows up at your door. You don't have to show up at his Hey, there you go. That's awesome. You don't even have to go out. You, you just have to come to your, come to your house. It's there, like there that special go. garbage can strike up so a conversation. So if anybody comes to your door and they ask you to do a favor, you know, just, uh, you know. And, uh, yeah, okay. I, I think that's marvelous. And. Uh, before you take your seat, I, I want us just to take a moment to do what the church in Antioch did and just offer a prayer for Steve in this remarkable undertaking uh, God has, has uh, sent him on and is sending him on. Well, loving God, we thank you so much for Steve and Delia for, uh, for becoming part of this community of faith, for saying yes to you and stepping up and, and uh, serving and um, growing in friendship and faith together. And, and we just lift up Steve and his emerging call to pastoral ministry. Lord, um, you know, we often don't know all the answers and, and where it all will lead, but we know you are preparing the way. And so we entrust him wholly and completely into your care. May your spirit empower him, fill him, lead him, and light his way. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, God, please. Pretty sweet. It can happen right here. Um. Well, again, I don't know what your Lincoln list might look like, but here's the deal. As a church here and around the world, we face some big challenges. 
And we need each and every one of you. Right? To get in the game for God. To let God lead you there. To say yes to that assignment God has equipped you for and prepared you for. And here's what we pledge. We will be with you every step of the way. Praying for you. Supporting you. Encouraging you. It's our time. It's our turn. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to believe that whatever our circumstances, however life has unfolded up to this point, by the gift and grace and power of your Spirit, we can be an instrument in your hand. We can be a vessel of Christ's love and, and help you make a lasting impact in the lives of people we love, in the lives of our neighbors across the street. Help us to say yes. If you say go, help us go in Jesus' name. Amen.